Hello, hello, hello there, and welcome back to Bums in the Night, a true crime podcast focusing on more obscure crimes throughout the world. I'm your host, Divya, and hey guys, welcome back. I hope that you guys are having a good weekend and that you're having fun, but also listening to this podcast at the same time. <laughs> uh, I just want to quickly say I'm really sorry I didn't release an episode last week as I was down with the flu. I couldn't really talk because I had sore throat. So, and it's also flu season where I stay, so that's also a factor to that. So I'm really sorry. And if you hear this properly, you can hear that my voice is a bit out. So I'm really sorry about that and please pardon it. I really wanted to release an episode today, so that's where we are. Uh, before I start on the case for today, I just wanted to put in a promo for Ignorance Was Bliss by Kate. She is a lovely person and she her podcast is just amazing. She does interview star podcasts and it's just very very interesting to listen to. So I'm going to put the podcast promo right about here. <music> Everybody has a story, and not all of those stories are clear black and white issues, even when we think they are. We wonder how did this happen, or what is that like, or what happens next? Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss at IWB Podcast. Hello guys, welcome back. I hope that you enjoyed that promo from Kate and you should really check out that podcast it's really interesting and just shower Kate with all the love you can so today we are going to be talking about one of the most prolific serial killers as well as um, one of the biggest cases of infanticide so today we're going to be talking about Amelia Dyer Amelia Dyer was born Amelia Hobley in 1836 in a small village of Pile Marsh, east of Bristol. Bristol is a city and a county in southwest England. She was born the sixth child out of seven children, three older brothers, Thomas, James, and William, two elder sisters, Anne and Sarah Anne, as well as a younger sister, also named Sarah Anne. Unfortunately, both Sarah Anne's had passed away, the older one in 1841, when she was six and the younger one in 1845 at a few months old. Amelia was the daughter of a shoemaker, Samuel Hobley and Sarah Hobley Nee Weymouth. She lived quite a privileged life compared to most, learning how to read and write. So at that time in Victorian England, not a lot of common people knew how to read and write, but she did. So she was, like like I said, was more privilegedly brought up than most, and she developed a love for literature and poetry. However, her mother suffered from mental illness due to typhus, also known as the typhus fever. Amelia was obliged to take care of her mother and bad witness to many of her violent fits. There are some sources that claim that she was also beaten due to her mother's violent fit due to her mother's violent fits. So, unfortunately, her mother passed away in 1848, when Amelia was 11. After the passing, Amelia was sent to live with an aunt in Bristol. 
she then served an apprenticeship with a corset maker. In 1861, at 24, she became estranged from at least one of her brothers and moved into lodgings in Trinity Street, Bristol. She would then meet and marry a much older man named George Thomas, who was 59. So Amelia was 24 and he was 59. They both lied about their ages on the marriage certificate to reduce the age gap. While Amelia added 6 years to her age, making her 30, George deducted 11 years, making him 48 years old in the marriage certificate. After marrying George, Amelia then decided to train as a nurse. She would meet Ellen Dane, who was a midwife. From Ellen, Amelia learned of an easier way to earn a living, in which she could use her own home to provide lodgings for women, young women who conceived illegitimately and the farming off of babies for adoption. The eight, in 1834, the Poor Law Amendment Act, also known as the New Poor Law, was a law that was instated that removed financial obligations from father of illegitimate children. This put a heavier burden on the mother's life as they had less financial means to take care of their babies. They had so much to do and then to take care of their babies, they, they couldn't do that with what they had. So this led to an increase in the practice of baby farming. So what is baby farming? According to encyclopedia.com, baby farming referred to a historical system in which infants were sent away to be nursed and boarded by private individuals for either a flat one-time fee or a weekly or monthly charge. Baby farmers, usually middle-aged women, solicited, solicited these infants through adoption advertisements in newspapers and through nurses and midwives. So what would normally happen to these babies under their care? Well, not good things I can tell you. Carers would starve the farmed out babies. They would do so to save money and to hasten death. Noisy or demanding babies could be sedated with alcohol or opiates. Godfrey's cordial, known as mother's friend, was a syrup containing opium was a f and was a favorable choice among these baby farmers. Many children would die as a result of such practices. Dr. Greenhow, who was investigating for the Privy Council, noted how children and uh, quote, uh, kept in a state of continued narcissism will be thereby dis disinclined for food but be and be but imperfectly nourished end quote. there would be deaths from severe malnutrition though the garden was most likely to record the death as debilitating from birth or lack of breast milk or simply starvation they did this because they were none the wiser to what was going on, that the baby farmers were actually doing this on purpose, but the coroners didn't really know that, so they put it down as these three things. Mothers who would choose to take back their babies or to check up on their baby's welfare would often encounter difficulties, although they would be too frightened or ashamed to tell police of any suspected wrongdoing. So at that time, Having a baby of wedlock was considered shameful and like looked down upon. So these women were scared that 
they would be shamed and that their reputations would be destroyed if anybody would come to find out that they were pregnant or they were also shamed that they ashamed that they needed somebody else to take care of their baby so they didn't really want people to know about it especially the police even the authorities had problem tracing the children that were reported missing this was the world introduced to Amelia by Ellen Dane who was actually forced to decamp to the US to escape attention of the authorities Amelia left nursing with the birth of her daughter Ellen Thomas and George Thomas her husband died in 1869 she needed a way to find a way to get an income she wanted to make money from baby farming alongside taking in expecting women she had advertised to nurse and adopt the baby in return for a considerable one-off payment and adequate clothing for the child in those ads and meetings with clients she assured them that she was respectable and married and that she would provide a safe and loving home for the child because she was saying these things to their mothers they felt more likely to leave their child with Amelia which was as we will come to know is a big no no in 1872 Amelia married one William Dyer who was a brewer's brewer's laborer from Bristol together they had two children Marianne also known as Polly and William Samuel eventually Amelia left her husband at some point during the baby farming career Amelia decided to forego the expenses as well as the inconvenience of letting children die through neglect and starvation and murdered them instead of allowing her to keep instead allowing her to keep most of the fee so i think in the beginning of her baby farming career she was intending to really take care of the children but she realized that she wasn't getting a lot of money by doing that so she allowed them to die from neglect and starvation and then she realized again that the the that what she was getting she, it wasn't enough it wasn't a lot of money so she decided to kill them themselves so she, she could keep most of the fees for some time Dyer Amelia managed to evade the interest of the police however she was eventually caught in 1879 after a doctor was suspicious about the large number of deaths he had called to verify in Dyer's care sorry to certify in Amelia's care so he reported her to the police and she was arrested however she was only convicted for neglect instead of murder or manslaughter and was only sentenced to 6 months of hard labor which is pretty crazy if you ask me man i mean all these child deaths and all she gets is neglect once released she resumed her nursing career she had spells in mental hospitals due to the alleged in- mental instability and suicidal tendencies though this was suspiciously coincided with times when it was convenient for her to disappear or to lay low from the police being a former asylum nurse herself she would know how to behave to ensure a comfortable existence as an asylum inmate amelia also appears to have beginning to have begun to abuse alcohol and opium based products early into her killing spree in 19, 1890 
Amelia cared for the legit illegitimate baby of a governess. When the governess came to visit her child, she was immediately suspicious and stripped the baby to see if a certain birthmark was present on one of their hips. There was not a birthmark present, and prolonged suspicion by the authorities led Amelia to either having or faking a mental breakdown. She at one point drank two bottles of laudanum in a serious suicide attempt, but surprisingly she survived due to her long-term abuse had built up a tolerance to opium products. Eventually, she returned to baby farming as well as murder. Seeing as the last doctor she used got her arrested, she began disposing of the baby's bodies herself. She realized that the doctors were not like helping out her case, so she decided to dispose of the bodies herself and deal with that herself. The extent of her activities prompted undesirable attention from the police and parents seeking to reclaim their children. She, as well as her family, frequently relocated to different towns and cities. Amelia used a succession of aliases to acquire new business. In 1893, she was discharged from her final committed at the Somerset and Bath Lunatic Asylum near Wells. This was apparently her most disagreeable experience and she never entered another asylum again. In 1895, she moved to Caversham, Berkshire, accompanied by an unknowing associate, Jane Granny Smith, whom Amelia had recruited from a brief spell in a workhouse, as well as Amelia's daughter and son-in-law, Polly and Arthur Palmer. Later in the same year, they moved again, this time to 45 Kensington Road, Reading, Berkshire. Jane was persuaded by Amelia to call her mother in front of women handing over their children in effort to present a more family-friendly image. In January 1896, Evelina Marmon, a popular 25-year-old barmaid, gave birth to an illegitimate daughter, Doris, in a boarding house in Cheltenham. She placed an ad in the miscellaneous section of the Bristol Times and Mirror newspaper. It read, quote, Wanted respectable woman to take young child, end quote. Evelina wanted to go back to work and eventually hoped to reclaim her child in the future when she had more sufficient funds. Coincidentally, there was another ad next to her own reading as, her own ad reading as, quote, Married couple with no family would adopt healthy child, nice country home, terms ten pounds. End quote, by a one Mrs. Harding. Evelina responded to this Mrs. Harding, and a few days later she received a reply from Mrs. Harding, who was actually Amelia. So Mrs. Harding was one of Amelia's aliases. From Oxford Road to in Reading, Mrs. Harding wrote that. Quote, I should be glad to have another dear little baby girl. I should be glad to have a dear little baby girl, one I could bring up and call my own. She continued, We are plain homely people in fairly good circumstances. I don't want a child for money's sake, but for company and home comfort. Myself and my husband are dearly fond of children. I have no child of my own. I, a child with me will have a good home and a mother's love. End quote. 
Evelina wanted to pay a more affordable weekly fee for the care of her daughter, but Mrs. Harding, Amelia, insisted on being given the one-off payment in advance. Evelina, who was in need, reluctantly agreed to pay £10. A week later, Mrs. Harding arrived in Shettleham. Evelina was surprised by Amelia's advanced age and stocky appearance, but when she said that but she said that Amelia was affectionate towards Doris, her daughter. And then um, Evelina handed her daughter a cardboard box of clothes and ten pounds to Amelia. Distressed at having to give up care for of her daughter, Evelina accompanied Amelia to Cheltenham station and then on to Gloucester. She said that she when she returned home, she returned home a broke woman. A few days later, she received a letter from Mrs. Harding saying all was well. Evelina wrote back, but never received a reply. There was because there was a more sinister plan in motion. Instead of travelling to Reading, Amelia went to 76 Mayo Road, Wendelston, London, where Polly was staying. There, she quickly grabbed some white knot, white edging tape used in dressmaking and cruelly wound it twice around the baby's neck as well and then tied a knot. It is said that that was not immediate. Chillingly, later on, she would say, and I quote, I used to like to watch them with the tape around their neck, but it was soon all over with them, end quote. Both women allegedly helped to wrap the body in a napkin. They kept some of the clothes Evelina had packed, the rest was destined for the pawnbroker. Amelia paid the rent to the unwitting landlady and gave her a pair of child's boots as a present for her little girl. The following day, Wednesday 1st, April 1896, another child named Harry Simmons was taken to Mayor Road. However, with no spare white edging tape available, the length around Doris's corp corpse was removed and used to strangle the 13-month-year-old boy. The 13-month-old boy, sorry, that's not right, 13-month-year-old. On April 2nd, both bodies were stacked into a carpet bag alongside bricks for added weight. Amelia then headed for Reading and at a secluded spot she knew well near uh, a wear in Caversham Lock, she forced down the carpet bag through the railings into the River Thames. On March 1896, a bargeman spotted and retrieved a package from the Thames. Horrifyingly, the package contained the body of a baby girl, later identified as Helena Fry. In the small detective force available to Reading's Borough Police, Detective Constable Anderson made a crucial breakthrough as well as finding a label from Temple Mead Station, Bristol. He used microscopic analysis of the wrapping paper and deciphered a faintly legitimate name, Mrs. Thomas, as well as an address. Although the evidence was enough to lead, to lead police to Amelia, they had no concrete evidence to connect her directly to this heinous crime. Additional evidence they gleaned from witnesses and information obtained from the Bristol police only served to increase their concern. And D.C. Anderson with Sergeant James, 
placed the Amelia's home under surveillance. Subsequent intelligence suggested that Amelia would run away if she came at all under suspicion. The officers then decided to use a young woman as a decoy, hoping she would be able to secure a meeting with Amelia. This may have been designed to help the detectives to positively link Amelia to her business activities, or it may have simply just given them a reliable opportunity to arrest her. It transpired that Amelia was expecting her new client, the decoy, to call, but instead she found detectives waiting on her doorstep. On 3rd of April, which was a Good Friday, police raided her home. They were apparently struck by the stench of human decomposition, although no human remains were found. There was, however, plenty of related evidence, including white edging tape, telegrams regarding adoption arrangements, pawn tickets for clo children clothing, receipts for advertisements and letters from mothers inquiring about the well-being of their children. So basically, there was all this evidence that uh, supported that the theory that there were supposed, supposed to be many children in Amelia's house. But when police checked the house, there was no, there was no children there. But there was a smell of decomposition. But there was also no bodies. The police calculated that at least 20 children had been placed in the care of a Mrs. Thomas, who's actually Amelia. It also seemed to appear that she was about to move homes again to Somerset this time. Some estimates that over a course of decade, over the course of decades, Amelia may have killed up to over 400 babies and children. Amelia was arrested on April 4th and was charged with murder, while her son-in-law, who was in the house, was charged as an accessory. During April, the Thames was dredged and six more bodies were discovered, including Doris Marmon and Harry Simmons. Each baby had been strangled with white tape, which she later asked, quote, how was how you could tell it was one of mine, end quote. Eleven days after handing her daughter over to Amelia, Evelina Marmon identified her daughter's remains. At the inquest into the deaths in early May, no evidence was found that Mary Ann, Polly, or Arthur Palmer had acted as Amelia's accomplices. Arthur Palmer was discharged as a result of a confession wrote, written by Amelia. In the Reading Gull, she wrote, with her own spelling and punctuation preserved, Sir, will you kindly grant me the favour of presenting this to the magistrate on Saturday, the 18th instance, I have made this statement out, for I may not have the opportunity then. I must relieve my mind. I do know and I feel my days are numbered on this earth but I do feel it an awful thing, drawing innocent people into trouble I do know I shall have to answer before my Maker in heaven for the awful crimes I have committed. But as God Almighty is my judge in heaven or a on earth, neither my daughter Mary Ann Palmer nor her husband Alfred Ernest Palmer, I do most solemnly swear declare neither of them had anything to do with it. They never knew I contemplated doing such a wicked thing until it was too late. I am speaking the truth and nothing but the truth, as I hope to be forgiven. I myself 
and I alone must stand before my Maker in heaven to give an answer for all witness my hand, Amelia Dyer, April 16, 1896. On 26 May, 1896, Amelia appeared at Old Bailey and pleaded guilty to one murder, that of Doris Marmon. Her family and associates testified that they had been growing suspicious and uneasy about the activities, and it emerged that Dyer had narrowly escaped discovery on several occasions. There was evidence from a man who had seen and spoken to Amelia when she had disposed of the two bodies at Caversham Lock. Amelia's daughter had given a graphic evidence had given graphic evidence that ensured Amelia's conviction. Amelia offered the defense of insanity, that she had been twice committed to the asylums in Bristol. However, the prosecution argued that her exhibitions of mental instability had been employed to avoid suspicion. Both committals were said to have coincided with times when Amelia was concerned her crimes might have been exposed. It only took Jerry four and a half minutes to find her guilty. In her three weeks in the cell, she filled five exercise books with her last true and only confession. She was visited the night before her execution by the chaplain and was asked if she had anything to confess. She handed him her exercise books, saying, Isn't this enough? Interestingly, she was subpoenaed to appear as a witness in police trial for murder set for a week after her own execution date. However, it was ruled that Amelia was already legally dead one sentence and therefore her evidence would be inadmissible in court. Thus, her execution date was not delayed. On the eve of her execution, Amelia heard that the charges against Polly had been dropped. Amelia was hanged by James Billington at Newgate Prison on Wednesday 10 June 19. No, sorry, 1896. Asked on the scaffold if she had anything to say, she said, and I quote, I have nothing to say, end quote, just before being dropped at 9 a.m. precisely. It is uncertain how many children Amelia Dyer murdered, though evidence pointed to many more than just that one that she pleaded guilty for, Doris Marmon. The Dyer, Amelia Dyer case caused quite a scandal because it was so many children and it involved the law that was passed, and it involved baby farming, and it was just this whole case of, wow, what is going on? She became known as the Ogress of Reading and inspired a ballad. The old baby farmer, the wretch Mrs. Dyer, at the old baby, her wages is paid. In times long ago, we are made of big fryer and roasted so nicely that wicked old Jade. After this whole case, adoption laws made it stricter, were made stricter, giving authorities the power to police baby farms in the hope of stamping out abuse. Despite this, the trafficking and abuse of infants did not stop. Interestingly, two years after Amelia's execution, railway workers who were inspecting carriages at Newton Abbott, Devon, found a parcel Inside the parcel was a three-week-old girl, but though cold and wet, she was still alive. The daughter of the widow, Jane Hill, 
said the baby that had been given to a Mrs. Stewart for 12 pounds. She had picked up the baby at Plowmouth and apparently dumped her on the next train. It has been claimed that Mrs. Stewart was Polly, the daughter of Amelia Dyer, continuing on her mother's horrible legacy. Legacy. There's also, interestingly, a theory put forward that Amelia Dyer was actually the famed Jack the Ripper killer. A few reasons put forward by an allocation article, which I will link in the description below, was not only did Amelia live in the Whitechapel area at different points in her life, she was also trained as a nurse and midwife and would have anatomical knowledge to carry out the mutilations that befall the three sex uh, the five prostitutes in the Whitechapel area. So there's also a theory put that there was put out that Jack the Ripper was actually Jill the Ripper and that um and that uh, because the pregnant pro uh, the pregnant women would have been more would have visited a midwife and be more comfortable with a woman and that's how the murders happen and so I think that's very interesting and it was speculated that it was Amelia Dyer herself but it was never proven and that is the case of Amelia Dyer the baby killer the baby farmer of Reading so that was a very doozy case and so many children got hurt I feel really sad about that the amount of babies and children that were being mistreated and were dying due to malnutrition and neglect is just saddening so much and yeah so that's the end of the episode guys i hope that you got knowledge from this episode if you want to follow me you can follow me at bitn podcast on twitter I hope that you will subscribe to my podcast and that you will leave a rating and review because that would be much appreciated. Thank you very much if you do. And that is all. See you soon and stay, stay spooky, guys. Bye!